This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station Access Manchester The Access Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full With Jim Salverson Access Manchester An album full of bangers Is the subject of today's Access Long Player I'm Jim And we're having another classic album conversation Rediscovering some of the best Indian rock albums of all time Today it is An album that won three Brit Awards upon release picked up an Ivan Novello Songwriting Award and went six times platinum, as well as launching the career of the brilliant Kaiser Chiefs. I'm talking about their debut album, Employment. Released in 2005, it was an album that inspired some people to describe Kaiser's as the worthy successors to blur upon its release, something I will discuss today with Simon Ricks, Kaiser Chief bassist. We'll talk about the expectations and early success of the band, what it was like walking into the studio with Stephen Street for the first time, and even Graham Coxon's kind of secretive involvement in the album as well. If you need a reminder of how brilliant this album is, you'll find a link to listen to the whole thing in the podcast description. I recommend either doing it, well, doing it before you continue maybe to remind yourself, but certainly at the end of this podcast, you will want to go back and listen to this album in full. This interview was recorded as part of the Excess Manchester Long Player, which is a show on Excess Manchester where I take a classic album every Thursday night and play it from start to end with a little bit of help from the people that made it. But this chat with Simon from Kaiser Chiefs was just too good not to play in full. You will notice halfway through the conversation, the earbuds Simon are listening on, they kind of conk out, they stop working, so he has to take them out. Rather than edit that bit out, I just thought I'd leave it in. Because it's happened to all of us at some point, right? So let's get on with it. Kaiser Chiefs, Employment, a true classic indie album. Let's get into it with Simon from the band. Delighted to have Simon Ricks, bassist with Kaiser Chiefs, with us for tonight's long player. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I couldn't quite believe when I was looking at this album, it's 17 years ago Employment came out. Does it feel that long ago? Well, it's, not, it's 16, I think, so that's, that's one year <laughs> off already. It feels quite a long time ago, yeah. Obviously, I think that's COVID affected that because we haven't played those songs for quite a long time now, so that puts it more in the distance. But I always think about those songs are weird. We had a break in like 2010-ish. And when we came back, it was a weird thing where, because we didn't play them for a long time, they felt like almost like other people's songs, you know, because they were so in the sort of social consciousness and we had to kind of reclaim them. So yeah, it does feel like a long time ago, I think, actually. Does that also speak about the development of the band and you as people and you as musicians? 16 years is a long time. You change as individuals, you change professionally, you change creativity. So I guess I guess it almost is like those songs were by different people. 
Yeah, definitely, yeah. Obviously, we wrote those songs when we were in our 20s, hanging around in Leeds, doing jobs that meant we could do the band. That was like always the main focus. And, you know, even by the second album, all that changed and we obviously became musicians mm. for our jobs. And also just because we have done a few things for employment, you know, a few like album playbacks over the years and things like that. And you look at what we did in 2004, 2005 around the album. We were just all over the place. We were just going to America and back every month. You know, when we released albums, we would do like a world tour, like in two weeks, do like, you know, like London, Paris, Madrid, Tokyo, Sydney, New York, LA, or something like that. You know, we were so, so busy. I kind of don't remember loads and loads of stuff. You see pictures of things we did and, and remember it. But so much stuff disappeared because we were just doing something amazing every single day it was weird the recording of the album was kind of squeezed in between as you say this really busy frantic touring schedule because it was squeezed into the schedule did it feel like it was rushed in any way or did that frenesity just add to the energy of the album i think it definitely added to it we wrote the album and we were writing a lot of it for live so even though there are songs on there, like, you know, obviously, Teammate, obviously, is probably the slowest, I guess. And mm-hmm. What Do You Ever, Ever Give You, Caroline, yes, things like that. There were definitely album tracks that we thought of as album tracks. But when we were first writing songs, they weren't for an album, you know, they were to do a gig that week at Dublin Castle or to do a gig <laughs> at uh, Jarbeg's Clegg in, in, in Manchester or, you know, the Cockpit in Leeds or whatever. You know, we were writing songs to get noticed and to get people moving. Stuff like Every Day, I Love You Less and Less and No, No, No. I don't know, in particular, I think it was just like a jam, like a fast jam that we just were like, we really need another fast song for the set. And we just wrote it quite quickly. And I just never expected that it would, we'd still play it now. You know, I never expected mm-hmm. that 16, 17 years on, we would still be playing. No, 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 no. But it just works, doesn't it? As a, as a, as a song, it's like, a, it's like an energy as opposed to being a brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. song, if you know what I mean. So yeah, I think we recorded it in sections. So we, we did like, I was to write, we recorded that as a single. And then I think, uh, oh my God, every day you love less, you less and less and less. Every day I love you less and less. Just recorded those kind of like, these are going to be singles, you know? So they were in like, and then maybe we go for a few days, I think for one of two songs we did a week, you know? So it didn't feel really like making an album until we went and recorded another six-ish songs. We went to a place called Chapel in Lincolnshire. And that's where we recorded You Can Have It All, What Do I Ever Give You, Time and Tradition, Caroline Yes, Teammate. So album tracks, we recorded them together as a session. So when we did those, that felt like the album session, but it was only kind of like half the album. Because you recorded them in kind of separate chunks, to you when you listen back to the album, do they feel like almost like different bodies of work? I think it was really impressive. So half the album is produced by Stephen Street and the other half is produced by a guy called Steve Harris. And that was because of time constraints and because I think we really we did some B-sides with Steve Harris and we really liked him. So, you know, we sort of wanted to work with both of them. I think we were worried that it would sound like two different albums, but actually I don't think you can really tell the difference. What do you remember about day number one, walking into the recording studio for the first time with the band to record your debut? What are your memories? How did you feel at that stage? Well, as I say, I think the first song we recorded was I Predict Riot. We did it in the bunker in Olympic Studios, which was Stephen Street's room there in the basement. And like, it was quite a small studio. It had like a corridor. One side of the corridor was the control room and one side was a very small live room, which could only fit, you know, the drum kit in a couple of, you know, in, and I think the amps were somewhere separate. And then the rest of us were all together in the control room. So Nick was in the live room because it was very small, you know. Um, mm. So it didn't feel like that majestic or like, as you say, like stri- striding in going, we're doing this. 
also at that time, we hadn't even signed the record deal. We'd recorded Life Six Riot, and I think it had come out before we actually properly signed the deal. What was weird about us, I think, is we never had the moment because we were always there was always something else that was going on. So with our first band, which was called Parva, we signed a record deal and like we you know celebrated signing it and then like we got played on radio one and we went out all day and had a barbecue and went to pub and did all that stuff and really celebrated it but that band never went anywhere you know whereas mm. kaisers we started off and we did some independent stuff like released a song on that by ourselves and that got played on the radio and we got a few enemy sort of things and we we got on mtv and then we sort of went talking to a record label and then we were making a song and going on tour and then I just right came out and then we signed our record deal and then we like did the enemy tour which was a really big deal at that moment in time like every time we were always a step ahead if you know what i mean like mm. it was just things had to happen we said like in parva like we signed the record deal and that was kind of the end of it whereas in kaisers it was like we got to a point where we just someone just had to sign us you know it wasn't like a question of whether we were going to get signed it was just like well we're doing so well eventually someone will sign us that's just the thing like a tick tick the box you know and then go in the studio record the song next day it was a gig next day we recorded next day we were flying somewhere next day we recorded next you know it was like just a crazy like well don't want to say rollercoaster but that was what it was <laughs> you mentioned i predict a riot there which i think has probably gone on to become certainly one of kaiser chief's signature songs one of the reasons i really like that song is because it feels very yorkshire it feels very leeds you've got like thee and thou and words like that used within the lyrics was the geography of where you came from as a band was that always quite important in terms of your identity yeah for kaiser chiefs definitely i think that we again i don't want to talk too much about pav i think talking about them all the time but that was a band where we didn't really have an identity. We just sort of went with whatever was happening at the time. So like the Strokes were big. So we would play like have a Strokes, like a garagey song, or then like, I don't know, Radiohead would be big. So we'd have a song a bit more like that, or like they used to be. A bit chameleon-like, I guess. Mm. Whereas when we started Kaiser Chiefs, we were determined that we should have this sort of sound and which it should be like a British sound. We were writing about where we were and what we were doing. So I think I'd be interesting because, you know, every time there's a world event, somewhere you know people are tweeting us or people are saying that we predicted it or whatever mm. on twitter but you know that song it's just about a friday night out in leeds you know it's it's, like, it was based on a genuine uh, night out wasn't it a genuine event in in time yeah kind of it's sort of uh, so the chorus is kind of about a club night that nick and ricky used to run and a band called black wire were playing and it was getting very very raucous and then also the verses you know all the stuff's about there used to be these was a club in leeds called majestic which is now the headquarters of Channel 4, surprisingly. But yeah, you know, people getting kicked out of there, it was always a bit messy. Mm. So yeah, it's just about various parts of Leeds City Centre and obviously the reference to Smeaton, who's an architect who designed the town hall, who went to Leeds Grammar and, and things like that. There's lots of just you know, references to Leeds and that was, that was all the purpose, you know. I think that throughout the album, there's sort of, we were talking about where we were at that stage in our lives. With that song and with, with other songs on the album as well, actually songs like Every Day I Love You Less and Less, Modern Way, Oh My God, they've kind of become your signature tunes. And I think this happens quite often with bands who have really big debut albums. They kind of get associated with their early tunes, maybe more so than stuff that comes later. What's your relationship like with that music now? Do you love it and hold it dear or is it kind of a case of you'd rather people focused on the newer stuff that you were creating? I think both really. I'm really proud of it and I really like it. And obviously when we play live, every time we do it, it's new in my opinion. I don't necessarily listen to the albums, but you know, when we play Ruby live or Oh My God live, 
then it's always a fresh audience and it's always exciting and good. I'm just going to change my earphone because this one is running out. Sorry. <laughs> Pretty unprofessional. So, yeah, I mean, I love the fact everyone likes the old stuff. I would like sometimes, I feel like, when we release the new albums, you know, we always like the new stuff the best because it's the latest stuff you've done. I'm proud of all our albums, really. There's been some moments in time where, you know, you think, oh, I might have done that different or this different. But I think each album was the right album for us to make at the time, you know, like, so employment, we were talking about what we're doing at that moment in time, in our 20s, living in Leeds, doing our thing, you know, and then in the middle, we did a few weird things, I think, like we did the make your own album and didn't tell anyone and released it. People could build it on the internet. But uh, and then, you know, the most recent album, I think I'm really proud of. I think it's a great album. I think it's up there with our, our best albums. But I understand that, you know, for a lot of people, particularly, you know, I think it's a riot and oh my God and things, that it's something that takes them back to the moments in their lives because those songs were so big. Like they almost have a life of their own, those songs, I think. We're not in control of those songs anymore. They're like the people's songs because they're so out there and everyone knows them. Even people who weren't born when they came out know those songs, so it's weird. I know what you mean. They kind of become folk songs almost, don't they? Yeah, I just think we have a relationship with them, but actually so do a lot of people, you know, and like their relationship with it is just as valid as ours. I think we had a thing when we made the first couple of records and like we, the newspapers would be making headlines, like puns out of our song titles. And it was like, oh, wow. Like, it's something we never thought about, but it really thought that we'd sort of got through the, mm. the noise, you know, like we were part of the social commentary of the time. So yeah, and I think at that point you have to sort of give up the songs and just, you know, go like, okay, we've done something pretty good there, but like it's everybody's song basically. I want to talk about a couple of the tracks on the album that maybe don't have quite the level of love that those songs that I've just mentioned do. In particular, Saturday Night, because I was looking at the sleeve notes and I noticed there's a really unusual credit on Saturday Night, which is Graham Coxon's motorbike played by Graham Coxon. I'm going to bet it's one of the more unusual musical credits that Graham Coxon has in his career. What was the story there? How did that come about? It's good, isn't it? I think basically <laughs> we were working with Stephen, who's worked with some great people, and like we love Blur, which is you know part of the reason that we work with Stephen. And uh, so you know during the album making, we were kind of going, well, you know, I think Nick particularly was a bit obsessed with Graham Coxon solo at that time, and was like, or oh, can we get him to come and play something? Maybe would he play guitar and would he play this and would he play that? And then I think to try and get Graham excited about this opportunity, <laughs> Stephen was like, oh, maybe he might play, you know, he's really into his motorbikes. Maybe he might play his motorbike, you know, because I think basically he thought that he would just never, wouldn't play guitar on it, basically. So, yeah, he came down one day and we, you know, took some mics, got some leads trailing outside the door, mic'd up his bike and he, he revved it and then and that was the beginning. It sounds great. Was he given any kind of musical suggestions as to how he might play the motorbike at that point or was it? I think it was just rev it as if, <laughs> as if you're about to get off. Yahoo Music, actually, speaking of Graham Coxon, they s described you at the time when Employment was released as a worthy successor to Blur. And it was one, there was a load of rave reviews when Employment dropped. Did that put the pressure on you as a band? I don't think so. I mean, as I say, it was a bit, it was weird because we were that band, you know, that we, it wasn't like we wrote these songs and then, you know, in an Arctic Monkeys way, we were signed straight away and mm. swept up and moved along. We spent a lot of time, you know, we were quite old, like 25 or something by the time we got signed. So we'd had lots of lots of rejection. 
even in Kaiser's, even like we sent a demo which had, oh my God, Born to Be a Dancer, a modern way on it, to Tony Wilson to do In the City. And it got rejected. Even as Kaiser Chiefs, same song, with the same songs, even with Ivy to Riot, lots and lots of record companies turned us down, couldn't get signed. But we just carried on regardless, like in some sort of insane, knew that we were going to be successful in the end or had to be successful in the end or had to make people listen in the end at least. So like, yeah, when the good stuff came, the some, you know, some Brit Awards and some good reviews and stuff, we just took it kind of in our stride, really, because we sort of knew that it might be temporary. I suppose it just motivated us to, you know, write better songs and do great gigs. A couple of other tracks on the album I just want to highlight. Caroline No, sorry, Caroline Yes, which is named in reference to the Beach Boys song, Caroline No. And You Can Have It All, which is a song that's been credited with having some Beach Boys influences in there as well. Now, when I listen to Employment, I don't necessarily hear a load of Beach Boys coming out of the speakers. But was that very much part of the band's influences going in and creating this album? Yeah, definitely. So when we, as I say, when we started Kaisers, we sort of tried to narrow the focus, even down to like what we would wear and what we would sound like. We sort of thought... Actually, Ricky's shirts, they are, there's definitely a Brian Wilson influence there, isn't there? Yeah, like it was, well, we started off with no jeans, but that soon, soon disappeared. But we had this sort of look that then obviously the blazers came in and stuff. But when we first started, we were like stuff like no jeans and things and look smart, basically. And then, like, influences, we were trying to, like... The part the Beach Boys were sort of the exception because they were American, actually, but it was definitely an influence on us. Mm. But other than that, it was, like, Super Furries, Blur, Specials, The Clash, loads of great British bands and, you know, all the sort of new wave stuff that was pretty fashionable at that moment in time. So, yeah, it was, it was you know, a very English references, apart from the Beach Boys, which we just thought... We all really loved those guys at that time. And, you know, just like the harmonies and things like mm. that, we just tried to sort of have a bit of that influence in there. Simon, it's been awesome to speak to you about employment. I'm going to ask you the impossible question before you go. But if you had to pick one track off the album that you'd class as your favourite, what would it be? Yeah, it's a hard question, actually. I'm going to slightly cop out and say, of the sort of non-singles, I really love Caroline, yes because we played it not very long ago and just immediately brings back lots of memories. I think it's just a really simple and great song, but the all-time favourite is Oh My God Still. I think the reason for that is we play it last at every gig, so it's always the sort of culmination of the gig or the tour or the year or whatever is always the end. And also because it was the first Kaiser Chiefs song, really. We'd written a couple of songs, like I think we'd written Modern Way, I think we'd written a couple of other songs, but Oh My God, when we wrote that and we finished that, we all sort of thought, right, there we are. That's like the blueprint to what a Kaiser Chiefs song should be like. It's kind of a little bit weird. It's interesting. It's very, it's got Englishness in it. It's got the big boombastic sing-along chorus. This is the song. So every other song has to be as good or better than this one, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, Always Oh My God is always my favourite. Simon, brilliant to chat to you. Thanks very much for talking us through employment. Thanks very much. Access Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester. Thank you very much for listening to the Excess Long Player. Classic album conversations with the people who helped make those albums. There's a load more to go at in this series, so make sure you listen to the other episodes. Talking Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches, Happy Mondays, Cortina, St Jude, Mosley Shoals, Ocean Colour Scene, Hour of the Wildebeest, Damon Goff and Kaiser Chiefs Employment. That's season one. Season two is coming soon. 
And if you want to get a notification as soon as that podcast series is up, click follow now and we'll send you a note as soon as season two is available. Plus, if you know someone who would love this podcast, maybe we've covered one of their favourite albums, make sure you tell your mates about it. And if you want me to do a specific album with a specific person, then why not get in touch? You can find me on Twitter, at Mr. Underscore Jim Bob. But I'll see you next time for the next Excess Long Player. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, XS Manchester.